If you are interested in trying to improve the outcomes for youth who age out of foster care, then this podcast is for you. Hi, I'm Lynn Tanini, founder of Aging Out Institute, an organization dedicated to sharing resources and strategies that help youth who have to age out of the system be able to transition to independence successfully. Now grab something to take notes and get ready for some great information. Hello and welcome to Episode 5 of Aging Out Institute's podcast, Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting. Today we welcome Rhonda Safford, the Programs Manager at Reach Higher Montana. Reach Higher Montana helps young people in foster care connect with the finances they need to attend college and helps support them so that they can be successful while they're there. Welcome, Rhonda, to Aging Out Institute's podcast. I'm so glad you can be with us today. How are you? Great. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Well, I tell you what, to get things started today, um, if you would, please tell us a little bit about yourself and how you're connected to foster care. You bet. So I'm the programs manager here at Reach Higher Montana, and I have been, gosh, I guess in this position for 14 years now. I've been with the company in itself for 25 years. It'll be 26 years in July. Uh, But the foster care program in itself just started 14 years ago when we signed a contract with the Department of Public Health and Human Services here in Montana to disperse the education and training voucher funds for the Montana students to go on to higher education. Okay. And so uh, your background, have you been involved with foster care at all But prior to that? No, that was the first time I have actually you know, done anything with foster care. I do have to say what I really love about the partnership that we have with DPHHS is the public-private, you know, partnership. I think Reach Higher Montana adds kind of a breath of fresh air for the foster care youth because, Lynn, we really do not have access to any of their background information. So we help, you know, all students strategically pursue educational opportunities. With the foster care youth, like I said, we don't necessarily know anything about them other than they've been in foster care, you know, unless they choose to tell us. How many young people do you work with in a year, and what does that look like? We, you know, we're Montana, so we're a pretty small population, um, but I probably work with, we work with 60 to 70 youth in our ETV, or Education and Training Voucher Funds program, and then our, our summit that we do, we have about the same, we have about 50 to 60 youth and about 15 chaperones. And so in the contract that we have with the Montana Department of Health and Human Services, Besides dispersing the education and training voucher funds, we also do an ETV, which ETV is short for that, ETV check-in, kind of a mentoring program. We host a summer summit on a college campus, which is life skills and college prep skills. And this is like three days, kind of immersing them into that, and then career trainings that we do. Um, The education and training voucher funds. So what exactly are those? They are up to $5,000 per year for foster care youth to go on to higher education. And this can be a one-year, a two-year, or a four-year. I think sometimes our students or our youth always go straight to the four-year bachelor degree. But it can be used for massage school, trucking school, you know, a lot of type of things like that, beauty school. They have to be a qualified educational entity for them to go to. And I do check on that. Um, The kids can get that or students can get that till they're age 26. The criteria for that is they have to age out of the foster care system or going to age out of the system. They can have a guardianship 
created after the age of 16, and they can also have an adoption occur after the age of 16. So DPHHS does the first original approval once the student fills out the application, which is located on our website at reachhiremontana.org. So they decide whether the student's actually eligible for the dollars. Then the things that we really do here at Reach Higher Montana is that we determine that they have to have a 2.0 GPA to be able to qualify. And like I said, be going to an accredited institution. And so things that have to come along with that application is a copy of their current grades and then their award letter that they got from the college. We do help and make sure that they've gotten their FAFSA, which is the free application for federal student aid done, because that's how they get that award letter from the school. But we want to see other aid that they have gotten. The other thing I really like about the education and training voucher funds, and these are federal funds, okay, the part of the Chafee program, is that if they fall below that 2.0 LIN, they don't necessarily lose out. You know, some scholarships, once you get under their GPA, you're done. But they can have one semester on academic probation and try to bring that up and, you know, and then they can get it again. But if they still miss out, then if they go back to school without any help from the ETV, they can work on bringing that grade above a 2.0 and apply again and get that $5,000 per year again. Okay. The mentoring program that you have, does that help the young people while they are in college deal with issues that they face um, or does that have a different purpose? No, you are right on. The ETV check-in, like I said, kind of a mentoring program, this is fairly new, um, is we check in at least once a month with the students just to, like you said, make sure that are the grades going okay? Is everything okay with their roommate? Did they maybe get an email from the financial aid office that they don't understand? Just kind of help them work their way through, just like they maybe call a parent, you know, if they had um, parents in their lives. Uh, so we are kind of there in that capacity for them. Link them with resources. We do also work very closely with our foster care independence, independence program here, so our independent living programs around the state. And then Reach Higher Montana does have offices all around the state. We have about six offices located around the state. But so they, everybody has kind of the students that are in their local colleges. And on, like I said, on those ETB check-ins, we do that. We also... Besides checking in with them, we send them out a care package in the fall with a red scarf in it and some goodies, just like you might get once again for a, a parent. And then in the spring, sometimes we send them one around Valentine's Day or so as well. Um, and that has really helped. I think between the ETB check-in program and the summit, when we signed that contract, was it wasn't just about getting them to college. I mean, that's really important, but also hopefully getting them out with some type of a degree. So the summit was also part of that besides the ETB check-in program. You know, we're kind of a, a rural state, so we're, you know, spread out all over the place. And we've had some students come to our summit in the summer on the college campus and not really realize that they weren't kind of the only foster care youth out there. So it's really great how they can connect with other foster care youth. You know, it started really as just a college prep summit. And then about five or six years ago, we added life skills to it. And I think that was an important component to it as well, just because that can sometimes break down some barriers for those youth that think they can't go to college for whatever reason and or have a different definition of what college means to them versus like they don't think of that a one-year certificate is really college. Or they might get on campus and realize it's not as scary 
we've also had comments that like, okay, the dorms aren't like a group home. Um, you know, I think it really breaks down a lot of barriers for those youth. So I love that we have added that within the past few years. We also bring some former foster youth there so they can kind of see some that have been to the summit. Um, this will be our 15th one this summer if we can have it, <laughs> you know, with the new COVID-19 going on. Uh, we're just not really sure uh, if it's going to happen in person or not this year. Do they all come to one location for this summit? Correct. Yes. And we have moved around to different campuses, uh, but this summer it was supposed to be at Montana State University Billings, and we haven't usually hosted a couple of years on that same college campus, um, just to, like I said, move it around, a little less travel. But yes, everybody comes to one college campus and kind of gets to check it out there. And it's no cost to the youth. They also go home with a laptop or a life skills package if they don't need a laptop. But I mean, you know, in this day and age, pretty much everything, even at the high school level or the college level, is done online. Um, and these kids are ages 16 to 19, and they can come twice. So they can come um, a first year and come the second year in like more like a leadership role, like a team lead. Uh, but they, yeah, but you know, they need a laptop to do their free application for federal student aid. They get their syllabuses that way. Well, of course, right now, all of our kids really need a laptop because all the schools got closed. But we try to help them with whatever their goal is at that time. You know, they're either probably doing one of three things. They're either working on graduating from high school, getting a job, or going on to some kind of higher education. And we do talk about internships and apprenticeships and, you know, whatever their goals would be. Mm-hmm. And is this summit is like a full day? Is it, a, is it two days? What does that look like? It's three days. And we have had it four and five days as well. But uh, this year, we were going to try to go back to to the, the three days. But it is, yeah, three days. We stay in the dorms. We eat in the cafeteria. We do a lot of fun things, you know, some team building and things like that, as well as class time during the day. Go to the zoo, do some icebreaker type of things. Um, they get some free time to just kind of hang out in the dorms with each other at the end of the day, uh, which, like I said, is really good. But we do like some options after high school, career employment. We talk about independent living program. If they are interested in going into college in the fall, we do a one-on-one with them and make sure they're really ready. Have you gotten everything done? Have you heard back from the school? You know, we just to dig really deep with them and make sure we don't want ever want them to leave the Reach Higher Montana Summit and not actually be prepared to go on to college. We do some academic support with their new computers. They go over some computer tips and cyber safety. Um, some well-being and some mental health things. You know, we just, uh, like I said, do a lot of fun stuff. But that's why I was saying from some of your other podcasts, I have picked up some resources that I thought might be some good presenters at our summit with our foster youth. (laughs) Absolutely. And keep listening because we'll have more as well. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, I'm wondering because I know what I have heard over and over and over again from foster youth, from people who work with foster youth, is how there is a real gap in life skills when the young people age out and that they haven't gotten the level of life skills that they really should. So how would you describe the level of life skills coming to you when when these young people come to their first summit and you're presenting life skills? What are the biggest challenges, say, or maybe um, something that might surprise you that they actually do well and you weren't expecting them to? Yeah, you know, I think that can be varied as far as how big or what type of gaps that the students have when they show up, when our youth come to the summit. I think that can be what's going on in their life. You know, as you know, our foster care youth have definitely have some challenges. And I think that's why, you know, you've always heard that 
they need to hear something three times before they it maybe latches on or that they've really gotten it. And so I think even if they've had some of those things in the past, sometimes hearing it again. Or like I said, we have a lot of our foster care youth that teach our classes or lead the sessions. I think sometimes hearing it from a youth versus an adult is also super helpful. But I mean, we have some fun things that uh, they, I think, get a lot out of cooking classes. We've done cooking classes and dance classes and like I said, the budgeting and the finance taxes, uh, you know, and then we try to share with them some other ideas too, like maybe the Montana Conservation Corps might be a good gap year thing if they're not sure what they want to do and try to figure things out. Um, some of the other things we've had at like our, what do you want to say, our life schools after high school fair, career employment, we've had law enforcement come um, and some things like that as well, things that they may have never thought about. We've had the Montana Contractors Association come there. You know, just let them know that there's just a plethora of ideas. The other thing that I haven't really touched on that we do with the students, and we do some at the summit, but then we're starting some career training classes in the high school, our freshmen through seniors, for just specifically our foster care youth. But the career trainings, we use a product called the Montana Career Information System. And what this does for our high school students is they can take an assessment and kind of feel like what is a good fit for them career-wise. And then how do they better prepare themselves for that? And does it mean college or does it mean an internship or an apprenticeship? Or does it mean a one-year, a two-year, or four-year or more years of school? And so then like what classes in high school could they take to better prepare themselves? You know, are they taking some dual credit, some AP classes? Uh, you know, like I said, just how can you better prepare yourself? And I think sometimes that then would, you know, help them, you know, with some of the gaps, you know, not the life skills gaps particularly, but also just not knowing, feeling a little overwhelmed at 18. What do I want to do with my life? Which I think is a tough decision for any student. And I think really, really challenging for our foster care youth that maybe haven't had role models in their lives to help them decide what would be a good employment option for them down the road. Right. Absolutely. I know uh, when I was in college, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And I, you know, I think I figured it out somewhere in the first or second year. And you know what? It's not what I ended up doing even then. (laughs) (laughs) So it's, it is, you know, the, the decision of what you want to do in life is, is not necessarily easy for all youth. That's for sure. I agree. In fact, I laugh because I said, I didn't know until 14 years ago what I wanted to do with my life. (laughs) This job is I just, I love it. I love working with those foster care youth. It's incredible. And um, I'm actually economics degree. So uh, yeah, I don't do anything like I thought I was going to do either, Lynn. And, um, you know, so I I think that's good to let them know because it is incredibly overwhelming to them um, that, hey, just, you know, take a path and go with it and do your best and it'll fall in place at some point. Oh, sure. And I'm curious, uh, the young people that you've worked with so far, at least my impression is a lot of foster youth want to go into social work or psychology or some field where they can help others and even directly give back and help foster youth. So do you see that trend as well? um, Or is it really a, a mixed bag? You know, we do see it. A lot of students want to go into social work and help foster care youth and make the system better. And I think that's I think that's awesome. I think that's admirable. Um, I think it's good to open their eyes to other things as well. One entity that we have come to the summit 
that I think is good for them to work with is called Foster Club. I don't know if you've heard of them out of Oregon. I have. Yeah. So, uh, you know, they're a national network for youth in foster care. And a couple things that we do with them, not only do they come to our summit and help facilitate, um, so they help them, you know, advocate and find their voice and some things like that. But we also send two of our Montana students out there for their all-stars program. And that's, you know, a six-week internship in Seaside, Oregon. And they have basically foster care youth from all around the United States come there and learn how to be advocates for other foster care youth they present at national conferences. We also do ask our All-Stars then, since we pay for that internship, to come back to Montana and give back. And they give back by coming to the summit, helping present at our Child Abuse and Neglect Prevention Conference, and then also being on our Youth Advisory Board. And um, I think that's another really great thing that we've got going here in this state is, like I said, we do have um, a youth advisory board that meets monthly and it's other students and they're working on like a bill of rights. They learn, once again, how to tell their story and uh, Foster Club helps us facilitate that as well. But I think all of those things open their eyes to a little bit other options that are out there. But otherwise, I totally get it why they think they, you know, that that that. And that is often a good fit for them. I don't know. We also find out, it seems like from our chaperones and our providers that come and help at the summit, that many of them have also been previous foster care youth. Oh, yeah. And I think that's, yeah, right. And that's good for them to see that, hey, you know, they're out doing some cool things. And um, our keynote speakers are often previous foster care youth. And yeah, so I think it's another venue or avenue for them to uh, look at other things. But they, we do find a lot of them that want to go into that that area and want to help other people. Oh, sure. I think having exposure to people who've been through foster care, who have been successful in their lives, it helps them be able to see themselves in that kind of role in the future. Yes, it's very impactful. And it helps and it, it helps to reinforce the the concept that I am worthwhile and worthy to be in that type of role, in that type of position in life, to be able to do that. Because I think that's one thing that foster youth are often told is, no, you won't be able to do that, or you won't be able to pull the money together. And and unfortunately, I think a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times, they're told to limit the possibilities. And so I think to expose them to more opportunities is much, much better, because then they can start thinking outside the box and planning for a life that maybe they might not have otherwise um, considered. Right. Uh, One of the things that we have there is we call it after school options a career fair and bring in all sorts of different backgrounds or jobs or things that they can do. And it does sometimes help them think of of other things. And like you said, if it is a previous foster youth, even more powerful to them that I think they can picture themselves there. And we've had even sometimes some of our youth that have come back. I mean, obviously, because we've had so this is supposed to be our 15th one this summer, um, come back that have been at the summit at one time. You know, they were education and training voucher funds uh, students and went went on and got their degree, sometimes even on for a master's, and um, then come back and talk to the students about kind of about their journey and their path. And I think that is really powerful for them. I also love being able to give our students, you know, like so they can come back a second year and our Youth Advisory Board students and our all-stars, the opportunity to be in a leadership role and be in front of the other students. Um, the other thing is that we do is we give them all a certificate when they finish this three-day summit. And I think a lot of that is for that same reason, Lynn. Um, and this kind of came from the independent living providers. They're like, hey, if they could have something saying they completed this, 
you know, because it's way out of their comfort zone, <laughs> you know, and they're learning so many things. And just to have something saying, hey, I completed this and it's kind of a feather in their cap. It's something they can put in their portfolio. They can put it on a resume, whether that's for a scholarship or a job or a college application. Um, yes, I think sometimes that that's the summit can really build them up in that sense. And like I said, I think one of the side things that happened that we weren't really necessarily even planning for when we had our first summit was the connections that those foster youth make with each other. And I'm always so happy to see that they do know what each other's doing on the social media, whether that's Facebook or Instagram or texting each other or whatever. Um, they often know where all their other peers are at and what they're doing and they're a huge support to each other and i think that's like i said just a great side thing that came along with the summit that we couldn't have even planned for oh absolutely and with the the current situation being that you might end up having to have an online summit it just wouldn't be the same as getting to know each other in person unfortunately i agree it's supposed to happen in june um i should know actually probably this week sometime whether we can or can't which i'm pretty sure we won't be able to but i'm hoping we'll try for a date in august because you're right i think it's more powerful and impactful in person but if we have to we will still probably you know what we'll do is still send them out a laptop if they want and have like all the sessions recorded and loaded on there i don't think i see us doing it live i think that's challenging with everybody's scheduled and such um but then i think we could probably do some type of live discussions. Hey, let's talk about that academic or budget and financing class that you watched. Um, see if they have questions. Mm -hmm. I think we could have to do some virtual things, but you're right. Not nearly as fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. And it's also often in the, you know, the informal conversations and the lunches and things like that, that the relationships and the bonds are made. Right. The downtime in the evening that actually came from the students. I mean, the youth told us like, hey, we almost have it too planned, just jam pack, right? And they just wanted some time to hang out with each other and get to know each other. And I, you know, appreciate that. And so we do just have some chill out in the dorm evening time where they can play some cards or have a conversation or whatever they need to do. And I think that's where all those relationships really get built. Yep. Well, um, if I may ask, who funds the summit? You bet. So we do have the contract with the Department of Health and Human Services and the summit is part of that. Now, all states, and I think all 50 states do get Chafee dollars to help with the independent living program and the ETVs or the education and training voucher funds. But each state also has to put up a 20% match for these dollars. And that's what reach higher Montana does. We put up the 20% match to bring these dollars to our state for the students. Uh, so part of it is that contract and some of those dollars there, but Reach Higher Montana is funded and actually governed by um, an entity called the Montana Higher Education Student Assistance Corporation, or MAHESAC. And funny, when I started 25 years ago, that's who I really worked for. Um, and then we became a 501c3, and it was called Student Assistance Foundation. I don't know if you heard me accidentally start to call it that. <laughs> and then we just rebranded ourselves um, almost four years ago now as Reach Higher Montana. Um, but Mahisak then holds an aging student loan portfolio. When we were Student Assistance Foundation, we did service student loans. And then, you know, that whole world changed. And anyway, those proceed, proceeds are used to fund our Reach Higher Montana programs, including the foster care youth one. And then in addition, we have like some investments in place to fund our operations long term, you know, after our student loan portfolio has been paid out. Um, we have a couple of grants and contracts like this one. 
it, it comes from a variety of sources, but like I said, mostly the, the Mahisak is where our funding source is. Okay, okay. And I had a question here about colleges and universities, trade schools, community colleges in Montana. I know that there are a lot of colleges out there and community colleges and trade schools that have specific programs designed to support foster youth. They don't all, of course, but many of them do. So do you direct foster youth to those universities and colleges if there are programs available? Because I could see an advantage of working together with that college's program or school's program um, to help the young person through. So I'm just curious how that works. Do you have many schools in Montana that have that kind of program and how do you work with them? That's a great question. Thank you for that. So when I talked about the private public partnership, I think that's the one thing that Reach Higher Montana brought to the table was the great relationship we have with all of our Montana schools. Now, mind it, mind you that the the foster youth can use ETV dollars in out-of-state schools, but I would say 90%, if not more, of our students stay in-state. And so those relationships with our colleges here in the state have allowed us to be able to just call up the housing and say, hey, this student has doesn't have their $300 deposit. Could you just defer that until after July 1 when I can disperse the education and training voucher funds? And they are so flexible to work with us and help our students be successful. We also try to get them connected immediately to any TRIO type of program, student support services located on their campuses. We have some programs called like HOPA Mountain in uh, Bozeman that helps has some special foster care youth programs that help our students that go to, to college. And then our Montana State University in Bozeman has a program. But particularly one of the programs that I did want to kind of talk about a little bit is one of our smaller schools over in Glendive, way in the eastern side of our state, uh, Dawson Community College, has a program called Dawson Community College Promise Program. And basically what they do is this is a program, you know, aimed at helping our foster care youth that age out of the system to obtain a two-year education with no debt. And then they can help them transfer on to another school if the four years is what they were looking for. But that's a really incredible program. And uh, yes, we are trying to get more and more of our kids to take a look at that program over there. I mean, that's a great feeling to know that, one, you could get your associates and not have any debt and be employable. And then if you still wanted to go on, just knowing you would only have any, um, maybe some debt from the next two years, then we'll help you transfer into another school to finish out whatever your dream to be was. So yes, we do have some here in the state and we do try to funnel them. But like I said, mostly all of our Montana colleges are just really super in helping our foster care youth and they'll, you know, bend over backwards to make them feel welcome and at home and uh, meet with them and help them through um, some things that, you know, maybe they would have had a parent help them through if we're not able to get over there and be face-to-face with them. Because, you know, it's it's a big state. We try to meet face-to-face with our ETV check-in students at least once, if not twice a year. Um, but if we can't, it's nice to connect them to some people that we have a relationship with on campus. My understanding and from what I'm reading, really having a a person like a mentor there. And so if we have more colleges and universities and trade schools putting together programs designed to provide that kind of support, 
the better the rates will be. And, um, and so I, you know, I have confidence because I'm seeing the numbers growing more and more universities and colleges. I'm not as sure about trade schools, but I know at least at the university level that they are growing as far as the numbers of schools with that kind of program. But it does lead me into asking about the mentoring program. Who are the mentors? Are they staff? Yeah, no, they are staff. Um, so that's our outreach people that are located, like I said, at six locations around the state, and they all have a territory, so they cover all the colleges in their area. They would also do the high school career training in that area. Like I said, remember, we have fairly small numbers, so think about it. If I have you know, 60 to 65 students, I literally can sit down and call them all. <laughs> might take me a couple of days, but it's doable. Yeah, so each area, I give them a list of who the students are in the area, and they get a little introductory, and we let them know, hey, you know, Beth's going to be calling you. This is your local Reach Hire Montana person. And we work, like I said, very closely with their CHAPE provider in the area as well. And in fact, we, you know, log all of our contacts and stuff in a system called SOARS that Department of Health and Human Services has us do so that they can know and we can know what everybody's talking with the student about. Um, but yes, it is actually our staff. And like I said, this is a fairly new program. We've just started this year. I have to say, I think our staff is really enjoying it. It's another nice touch, you know what I'm saying? Like another way to get to know those students a little bit more. What I also like is all of our staff come to the summit. So we might uh, meet them when they're 16 in a career training, see them at the summit then. And then that person is someone that also will help them through their college years as an ETB check-in. So um, we can know our students for a long period of time. And I do really like that. And I think that that helps and will help even more as like we add uh, new programs like the mentoring in there. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I'm sure. I'm sure it will. So I have a question. We are in the midst, of course, of the COVID-19 crisis. So I'm curious, how, how has things changed? Is it really the biggest impact, the summit, and whether or not it will happen in person? Or are you having other impacts on your program as well? And, and how are you managing them? Yeah, the summit obviously is is a biggie. But, uh, you know, but uh, unless they're 19, <laughs> they can come again next year. I'm hoping we have, you know, better luck with it next year. But, yeah, we've um, stepped up our ETB check-in program, particularly for those youth in our colleges, with them shutting down and moving online. So there's been some challenges there as well. So instead of once a month, uh, we're checking in weekly with them now and just making sure they're okay. And um, we've had some students that have needed a laptop. Great classes are online. I have no way to get online. Also, do they have internet? Getting them connected with some supports and or uh, programs there for internet. We've had some students that have needed us to purchase some books for them because they now have some some reading that their professors have wanted them to do. Even like, say, transportation. If they do have to move out of the dorm and they have a place to go, do you need a bus ticket? Do you need a gas card? Do you have a way to get there? You know, so working with them through those type of things. Had some students that have been worried about food. Um, so same kind of thing. We can give them a gift card uh, to go shop, take them shopping, bring them groceries. Housing, uh, along the housing, some of our areas have housing vouchers that we've been able to connect them with. We also have been making sure that they know um, they some of them will get refunds from moving off campus. And, and so hey, you need to update your address with the financial aid officer. You won't be getting that because they won't know where to send it. You know, some of them have lost jobs. So helping them through those unemployment benefits and how they sign up for that. The other thing we've added, Lynn, is a few Facebook live sessions. 
hey, if you have a little downtime, now's a good time to think about some scholarships. I'm hoping to do one, if not next week, the week after on all of our programs here again and make sure they know they need to do their ETV by July 1. <laughs> you know, don't forget to do your FAFSA, all those things. So um, we are working not only, like I said, uh, with our Chafee providers and the high school kids somewhat, um, but we've really been reaching out to our college youth and making sure they're covered. I have one student that can stay on campus for the summer. I think we'll be able to pay for his dorm housing through the summer. I do say DPHHS has been great, letting us be more flexible with the dollars. And some of the dollars, you know, I'm supposed to spend by July 1, and they're going to let me move those into the next fiscal year in case I have to have my summit in August or career trainees later, because all those were supposed to happen this spring too. So them being, like I said, really flexible and letting me, you know, move some dollars into the next fiscal year, I, I, I really appreciate that. It's allowed us to help those kids in any way, shape, and form that they need help. Sure. It sounds like you're doing a lot to help these young people, and I'm really, really glad to hear that you're helping in all of those different areas because the impact, as I'm seeing article after article about the young people, particularly the young people aging out, um, but also young people in college, the foster youth in college, and, and the challenges that they're going through. It's nice to know that, that you have their backs. We want to let them know we're here. Yeah, I think that was one of the first things when we started reaching out to them, like, hey, we're here. So call us, text us, whatever your preferred format of communicating is, email. We, we are here. And um, not just reach higher, but your chafee provider in the state. And uh, I think everybody's pulling together um, our, we have some really strong, great partnerships in the colleges as well, you know, doing what we can to make sure these kids are, are safe and healthy. Oh, sure. Well, I've seen in, in Canada in particular that provinces are going to the length of extending foster care stay right now for young people who are at that age of aging out. What do you think about that as an approach here in the United States? I haven't heard yet about any states or cities doing that. They may very well be, but I haven't seen any articles come across my computer yet. But what do you think about that as, as a, a reaction, a way to help them out through this current crisis? You know, I think that I think that could be a great option, actually, as I was even talking with one of our outreach advisors today about a student that's 25 turned 26 next year. And you know, wreak some havoc with her life and how things are going and everything um, too. And so, yes, if I could, and I know that I cannot help her past 26, which she'll turn next January. Um, gosh, I guess if you could uh, help them for a little longer, you know, that could be super helpful for um, some of our students out there. And I think that's um, admirable of Canada. From your perspective, do you think there's anything else that could be done by, say, either the state governments or the federal government that would be able to help foster youth who are out on their own, you know, trying to start their life at this current time? I think we've actually started in the direction of one of the things I think are the best for us to do for our foster youth, and that is including the youth voice and like I said, I can see that we've already started going down this path. Um, and over time, I think we'll see a lot of improvements because of that. You know, first off, they want to be heard and they want to be a part of the process. I know a couple of years ago, I went to the Children's Bureau meetings in D.C. And almost all of the states that were there had some youth. And those youth are getting input on their policies and procedures. I know our Youth Advisory Board has been working on like a Bill of Rights. They've been in front of our legislators. Um, I think all the students as they enter into the system... Uh, you know, getting that uh, 
Bill of Rights and knowing that they do have rights as a foster youth is really exceptional. And so I want, you know, then when they come into the system, they need to know that they can go to court, they can see their case documents, uh, they can get their particular documents they can get when they age out. Gosh, if they're placed with a family that's attending a religion that they don't feel comfortable with, they don't have to go. I mean, can we help them try to stay in the school they're currently in? You know, I think having a say in the placements is good for them. And I think the other thing that uh, we're kind of moving in the direction of is letting those kids just be a normal teenage youth. And so I think our older youth, you were talking about, our, you know, they're the ones that are driving for these kind of things for their their younger peers. How's that? I mean, they, so they go to prom and get a driver's license and have sleepovers. I know some of those things are a little challenging in a group home. But I think one of the things I've been pretty excited about, Lynn, is you know, with the education and training voucher funds, that changed to letting them have that until age 26 just happened a couple of years ago. And that came from our youth saying, wow, by 21, I I don't know. I'm not done and I don't know what I'm doing. And so, you know, because they used to have to use it by the age 21. If they were used until 21, they had it till 23. And if you didn't use it by 21, you were out of luck. Um, so just extending it to age 26, they can get five years of it. They don't make it consecutive either they can use it non-consecutively they can get it when they're 18 and when they're going to college and then decide oh my this is really not what I want to do but if they decide to go back in a few years they still have that option I think at all levels at our federal our state and our local I think that youth voice is super important and I think we're moving that way I'm uh, pretty happy with the way uh, things are going for our foster care system as far as involving our youth Absolutely. And they need to listen to the youth now, but they need to listen to them moving forward as well beyond this crisis. There will be life after this crisis. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, I do have a question. Mm -hmm. Does every state have a program like yours? If they have these vouchers, is there a similar program to yours there as well? Every state has the education and training vouchers but not necessarily done from a private nonprofit like uh, like our state does. Some done directly from other programs and or directly from the Department of Health and Human Services. Um, so the setups are all a little bit different. We do all know who each other is as far as like how the links and such in case we need to connect a student to somebody in their state. Our students here in Montana are fairly lucky to Lynn. Uh, there are some states that have a waiting list for their ETVs, but our students, if they had the need and they do have to show need for it, you know, which most of them do. School's just so expensive. Um, if they have the need, they almost all of them are getting the full 5000 in our state if they need it. Good. Yeah. Yeah, which is great. You know, and the states are really good about working together. If we have a student that, say, comes into Montana maybe even late and they were from Montana, but they got placed in Oregon or whatever. Um, but Oregon doesn't have any dollars, but we do. We can use some of our dollars. We just have to work with the state. You know, so um, I think all the states work really well together to try to make sure our kids are covered as much as we possibly can, supporting them on um, their goals and going on to higher education if that's their dream. So, yes, they all have it, different formats. Okay. Okay, great. One of the things that Aging Out Institute is trying to do, and I've, I've mentioned this in other podcasts, is trying to break down the barriers between states connecting programs with each other so that we can partner more and not be as siloed. I'm just wondering if you have any ideas about how we can do that. How can we 
work together more closely, the different programs that are out there, to come together, share ideas, brainstorm solutions to the bigger problems, because the problems that are being faced by foster youth in the United States are being faced by foster youth in Canada, Australia, Europe, you know, all over the place. They're, they're, it's the same challenges. So this is a worldwide problem, if you will, of how to help these young people get through the system and age out if they get to that. But even if they don't, how do they move on to have a fulfilling life and uh, be able to live independently? I'm just curious, just from your perspective, because you do have a relationship with other states that I don't think a lot of programs have that kind of connection. How do you think we might better work together? I think one of the one of the places I probably see all the other ETV or CHAPE providers from around the is that children Children's Bureau meeting that I went to in D.C. Obviously, some of the conferences as well, some of the national conference, Daniel Memorial in Florida. But really, I think that one in D.C. there is a great place. I think we could even be do more than that than that one year. And I know I'm on their list, and <laughs> they've they've been great. They've had some webinars and that kind of stuff too. But, you know, I think if we had some type of a, a network, and that is obviously, that's just the United States, you're right, that it wouldn't be necessarily worldwide, but you're right, this problem is everywhere. But yeah, I think if we uh, just were more set about it, you know, if we had a set network, hey, maybe aging out is, is the convener, I don't know. <laughs> could be. <laughs> it could be, and I, I'm starting to think about, you know, what kind of, it would have to be an online platform, but what kind right. of platform besides a discussion board, you know, can you have to bring people together to solve problems? And maybe that's it. Maybe it's some kind of, you know, let's get together and, and you know, as a nation, think about this one problem. This is going to be the problem this year. Let's figure it out. <laughs> and something like that. You know, the Children's Bureau, that there are, we will see sometimes, you know, South Carolina will say, hey, what do you do with your kids in XYZ situation? And then maybe, you know, Minnesota might reply back. And you know what I'm saying? So I, it is kind of a sounding board, but um, it's, it's, a good, it's a good start, but I think we could do more, right? Oh, sure. Yeah. I think brainstorming um, ideas around something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I have this situation. How would you handle it? And then a whole bunch of people could come in and, well, this is what we do. And this is what we do. And it, that would be so fantastic, not only for people who have been working with young people for a while, but think about the new organizations. Mm-hmm. They could avoid so many traps and problems and mistakes if they could have a community like that. Absolutely. We're thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I see that our time um, is coming to a close here. So I do have a question for you about... I'm, I'm going to guess the answer is no, but is is there a way for people to donate something to your effort? You know, they could live. We don't have anything online, like on our Reach Higher Montana website. Um, we do have some local Montana donors, et cetera, that want to give directly to our foster care program. Um, but really, we're not very, uh, you know, high tech on that area. So, so we don't have any online giving. Um, but, you know, we have some people that write us some checks and send them in um, or make a, uh, you know, some kind of donation that way. Um, but really, if they, you know, wanted to get a hold of me, if they really wanted to, um, I could certainly um, connect them. And, uh, you know, we would appreciate that. But we um, don't do a lot of that fundraising in our, our arena anymore. 
that's what I, I kind of had that impression that might be the case. So if somebody did want to contact you either for that reason or, or maybe just to pick your brain about something about the, what it is that you do, can they reach out to you and what would be the best way for them to do so? Right. You know, my contact information would actually be on our reachhiremontana.org website or my email, which is rsafford at reachhiremontana.org and then my phone number, which is 406-438-6933. But yeah, I'd love to, you know, chat with anybody that wanted to talk about like our summit or our program or how to give if they wanted to. I really appreciate you spending time today, Rhonda, and telling me about your program, um, sharing ideas and thoughts on helping these foster youth. And I do wish you all the best as you move forward. I hope we're at a point in the country that you're able to have an in-person summit, um, maybe later in the summer. But if not, an online summit this year, back together next year, fingers crossed. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Appreciate being a part of your program, Lynn. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting. Any resources or research mentioned in today's podcast will be added to this episode's show notes at agingoutinstitute.org forward slash AOI podcast. If you have any suggestions for people or programs that you think we should highlight in a future podcast, please send an email with your ideas to podcast at agingoutinstitute.org. Finally, if you found this podcast to be informative or useful, we would greatly appreciate it if you would consider becoming a podcast-level patron on Patreon. For only $3 a month, you can help enable AOI to continue interviewing nonprofit leaders, social workers, and former foster youth well into the future. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Institute. Thank you so much for considering it, and thank you for listening. Until next time.